0: Thank you so much, you guys. Go ahead and be seated. And thanks for giving my church a little greeting. That was really precious, and I'm very grateful. And I don't know if you guys um, have... I don't know if you're able to put uh, a passage of Scripture on the screen, but I want to read a chapter to you that you probably don't read out of a lot. We probably don't read out of this book enough because we don't fully understand it. I think many Christians don't fully understand it, but I think in the great uh, wisdom of God, he hides, he hides things for us to discover and for us to dig in the scriptures to cultivate and draw the great treasures, you know, the greatest treasures, the greatest wealth uh, in this world, in this earthly world, is inside the earth, you know. The greatest treasures are inside the earth. The gold is found inside the earth. The oil is found inside the earth. All of the great wealth is already inside the earth. It's the people that extracted it. It's the people that discovered it and extracted it and cultivated it that became rich from it. Like If you realize, in the same way, we're made out of dirt. We're made out of clay. Man, God made us out of the dust of the ground. So literally, there's some parallels there in the sense that if we're made out of the dust of the ground and all the treasure, all the material treasures, the, the things that this earth describes as wealth is inside this earth and we cultivate it and draw it from the earth. If you would see yourself like your earth and you are a part of the earth and you're a vessel made of clay we're vessels made of clay right we're vessels uh and we are carrying great treasure inside of us as soon as you're born again god deposits all of his treasures inside of you he lives inside of you the greatest treasure of all is the holy spirit living inside of us he's inside of us and we it's out of our river out of our innermost belly shall flow rivers of living water. Your, your church is called River. So there's, you have to understand the river's inside of you. The revival's inside of you. When you draw from the river, when you speak in tongues, when you speak God's word, you are releasing and activating the river of God's power in your life. Amen. Now, that's not the topic that I want to talk to you about today. <laughs> <laughs> but your pastor gave me a time uh, frame, which is a little more than what, I'm, what, I'm, what I preach at now, because um, I don't know, I, I've st- I started to do my services a little shorter since pan- the pandemic. Still power-packed, still Holy Spirit, still the power of God, still the anointing God. So if I end a little early, you'll know why. If I don't... No problem, you're already used to being preached, having a message for a long time, so I'm going to just follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, all right? But if you have the the Song of Solomon, chapter 5, and I want to read this to you from the Passion Translation. And if you're able to put this translation on the screen, that would be great. If not, no problem. I don't know what your technology is like here. But this translation is... Has, it's changed my life. This, this chapter altogether has changed my life. This chapter is the reason I'm alive today. This chapter is the purpose for, for which I live today. This chapter describes uh, our relationship with Jesus in a way that no one else has ever described it before. And if you could understand Solomon for a moment. Solomon wrote three books in the Bible. Solomon wrote Proverbs. And the the order in which we have them, because God arranged it so, the order in which we have them is, first there's Proverbs, which is life solutions, life principles, right? There's so much wisdom. There's so many practical principles in the book of Proverbs. It's an amazing book, it's full, so full of wisdom. It's so accurate. It's such common sense. There's so many treasures in the book of Proverbs. And this is the first stage of our Christian life. Proverbs represents the first stage of when we're born again. The first thing we want when we're born again is we want to know we want it. God, give us your wisdom, God. We want to know how your word works. God, we want your principles. We want to learn to live by faith. We want to learn the word of God, we want to learn what you would have us do. We want to learn how to walk in wisdom, right? So I think it's like represents the first stage. The first stage of the Christian life is all about after you're born again is practical wisdom, everyday wisdom, everyday common sense, everyday living out the, this walk with God and making the choices that line up with the, with the decision you just made to receive Jesus as your savior. And your lord right and so then if you got 31 of those and then you come to this next book of ecclesiastes the book of ecclesiastes is a frustrated season <laughs> in, in solomon's life to say the least right uh, he says vanity of all vanities like uh futility after futility like he he's lost his way he's lost his sense of purpose he's lost he's gotten so fed up this was a season in my life i got so fed up with the principles i got so i used to know all the principles and learn all the principles of faith and the principles of miracles and the principles of of how to receive from god and the principles of of finances and the principles of and it it became almost where it was just just too rigid and i'm not saying proverbs is too rigid i'm saying Uh, I'm not saying Ecclesiastes, but our our walk with God sometimes becomes so rigid and so difficult and so rule-driven and and so um, principle-driven. And it really drove Solomon, as it drove me, a little crazy and a little um, disappointed and frustrated because we start our journey with God really excited, right? But then we meet other Christians and they take the joy out of our lives sometimes. Other Christians, the worst thing you can do when you get saved is meet other Christians because they're, they're going to talk you out of, I mean, older ones that are like, oh, we all, you're in that stage. Oh, you're just, you're just a newbie, but you, you know, yeah, you'll get used to, you know, and I don't like that. I don't like that uh, model. I don't like that experience and and those are people that are frustrated. Those are people that are living in Ecclesiastes. There's a lot of Christians that are living in Ecclesiastes <laughs> right now. Yeah, they're disappointed. They're frustrated. It's not where they're not happy. It's, uh, it's not working for them. Life is, uh, you know, life is, is confusing. Life is, is challenging. Life is difficult. That's, that to me, this idea of a life lived away from God, obviously God never leaves us or forsakes us, but our lives lived in this disappointing chapter where we're, where we're disappointed that we haven't been getting harvest. We're disappointed that we haven't been getting the money we need. We're disappointed that our healing hasn't shown up. We're disappointed that, that uh, our, our Christian life seems a little boring and seems a little dull. Maybe nobody here has ever experienced that Ecclesiastes life, but <laughs> I can tell you this. I've experienced the Ecclesiastes life, and I'm not af- I'm ashamed or afraid to admit it. I lived in the Proverbs life, and a season of my life was very much committed to the Proverbs and the wisdom and the principles. And then there was a season of my life, honestly, I was still preaching. I was still serving God. I was still, you know, loving my family, leading my family, leading my churches, leading a ministry. But there was this season of, um, gosh, what, what is all this for? And what is, where is this going? And, and uh, Lord, I'm frustrated. I'm not seeing breakthroughs. I'm not... Lord, I, I, I've, I've done so much and I've tried so hard. I've done everything I know how to do and I've done I, I've preached every topic. I've focused on I've invited the Holy Spirit. I've taught the scriptures. I've prayed in tongues an hour a day. I've, I've, I've witnessed. I've told people about Jesus, but there's something missing. There's a disappointment. There's a dissatisfaction. Let me tell you something. That longing inside of you, that loneliness inside of you sometimes, that emptiness inside of you, it's an invitation from God. I would not take any more, I don't ever interpret loneliness, I don't ever interpret emptiness as something wrong with me, or something wrong with my journey, or something, I'm not in the will of God anymore, because you guys are always in God's will, because your pastor is God, wi- God will. <laughs> yeah you can't you can't miss god's will if your pastor's god will right like like somebody needs to say amen to that if you if you if you touch this man if you as soon as you touch god will you're touching god's will so you should stay close to your pastor everybody right but um (laughs) so this emptiness this loneliness this longing it, um, it, it, it was an invitation. God spoke to me. He said, you feel that, son? Yeah, I feel that, Lord. He said, that's my invitation to you, to rediscover me the way I always intended. And this is the book of Song of Solomon. This is the season, uh, the final season of the journey in my life. I'll always live and honor the principles. I'll always understand what life is like without God that you remember and were reminded of in the book of Ecclesiastes. But the Song of Solomon, particularly chapter 5, is about our love affair with God, our love affair with Jesus. And frankly, until we accept and embrace that Christianity is not a religion. It is the greatest answer to the intimacy we all long for in life, it is the greatest answer to the satisfaction we long for in life. It is the greatest answer to the happiness we long for in life. It is the greatest answer to eternity. It is the greatest answer in my present it is the greatest answer to my future it is the greatest answer that settles my past it settles my past settled love has forgotten my past love forgets our past love forgets our past when you love somebody and maybe you can uh, you can take a picture of in your mind of when two people are first married or when they first have fallen in love they're never focused on the other person's mistakes shortcomings weird idiosyncrasies you know like some people um, leave the tooth, toothpaste tube open. You know, they leave the cap off. Some people put the cap on. And if you're married to somebody that leaves the cap off and you're a cap-on person, you're going to have some issues. Or, you know, where, where I come from, you buy a loaf of bread and there's this little plastic thing that ties the bread, you know, the top of the... Right? Little, keeps the thing closed, right? And um, look, the first time I take the, I take the bread home from the store and the first time I open it I take the plastic thing off usually I just break it because I don't like putting it on and off and I throw it away and all I do is I take that that when I'm done with the bread I take that bag of bread like this and I go like this and I spin it so that now it stays and then I fold it underneath and it sits underneath the loaf all right so I don't ever need that plastic piece again can anybody say amen? amen? Now my now my wife now my wife she is like puts likes to put the plastic thing on the loaf of bread after she uses it and that's very frustrating to a man who wants to be able to just unspin my loaf and take <laughs> and take a couple pieces out. All right? You 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 feel me on this? And so this is a source of um, great tribulation in my family. <laughs> Because when you've been married for six weeks, you just, oh, you just love each other. I, was just, I was just so good. <laughs> Right? And you just, oh, you know, you say to each other, oh, I, I could eat you up. You're so good. I could just eat you up. And then, like, six months later, you wish you had eaten them up. You're like, <laughs> But this couple, they've stepped into the Song of Solomon season, right? They're, they they know the principles, and they've experienced their frustrations. But now they're in the Song of Solomon. Now they're, you know, it, it, they live by love. Love rules them. Rules don't rule them. Love rules them. Rules are not meant to rule us. We're not meant to be ruled by commandments. We're not meant to be ruled by law we're we're created to be in you know, a love relationship with god that never ends and never gets old with a relationship with a human being it gets old sometimes it does end many people have ha- have ended their relationships with others and at what point is it giving up and quitting, or at what point is it abuse or mistreatment and you just want to stay healthy in your soul? That's a debate for another time in another place. But I've come to tell you that after almost 30 years in ministry and 28 years as the pastor of my church and a Christian for um, 40, 40 years now, Four, four decades I've been saved. My first decade in, up until 1617 was a mess. It was a wreck. It was a train wreck. It was dysfunction. And then I went through these three stages over the next 40 years. These three stages, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. So I, here I am in the Song of Solomon, chapter 5. And here's what I invite you to. Here's what God's inviting you to, because... Can I say this? Until you understand and until you get a glimpse of the real Jesus, it's impossible to love him until you get a glimpse of him. And the greater glimpse of him that you can get, the more you're going to love him. You know, I've heard preachers say this for years. You need to love God more. You need to love God more. If you're not walking, if you're not Holy enough. You need to love God more. You know what your problem is? You need to love God more. You know, that is a lie that you need to love God more. Nobody needs to love God more. And besides that, how would you even measure that? Oh, I love God a little more than yesterday. How do you know? I don't know because I had scrambled eggs today and that's why I feel like he blessed me with some scrambled. Yesterday he put me some sunny side up. I, I, yesterday he didn't do this for me, but today I love him more because I'm be- willing to be more obedient. That's, that's just nonsense. We're not, God never told us to try to love him more. God wants us to discover more of his love and the more of his beauty that we can catch a glimpse of the more we're going to fall in love with that beauty. Because every human being on this planet is created to love beauty. We are in love with beauty. You look at magazines, people are obsessed with beauty. You look online, people are obsessed with beauty. So it can be uh, taken in the wrong way and it can be. Looked at the wrong way, and if we only measure beauty by a person's physical appearance, we misunderstood beauty. But when we do notice somebody's physical beauty, it's only that because that came from God that anybody would have any beauty, inside or outside. It all originates from God, the beautiful flowers that you guys gave me. Thank you for the beautiful flowers you gave. I walked in off the elevator, and they handed me this beautiful bouquet of flowers. I smelled it. It was nice. It was beautiful. And why did I love it? Because it is natural, and we are created to love beauty. We were designed by God to love beauty. Now, the world offers a cheap substitute that is just superficial beauty, and that doesn't work. That wears off, and it goes away after years without surgery it goes away (laughs) beauty fades right (laughs) the flowers though they always come back every year the 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 trees the ocean the bosphorus body of water what is it called a a, i don't know is it a sea the bosphorus sea it's amazing i never get tired of looking at it it's beautiful i love the bridge that crosses you know the europe side of istanbul to the to the asian side of istanbul I, I think it's amazing at night it lights up and it's blue and it's purple and it's red and it's just, it's gorgeous it's because we were designed by god to love what is beautiful we love what is beautiful when you see a, i saw a beautiful pair of shoes at the Zenya store i was in italy preaching and I walk by, and I'm like, I'm not buying anything. Like, that's, a, that's that, that store, man, I, if I go into that store, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lose every penny that I have. To There's so many beautiful clothes there. Or you could go to any of the stores there that are, like, by the great designers. And I look, I, I said, these shoes, I looked at these shoes, I'm like, these shoes are amazing. It's not these shoes. I said, these shoes are amazing. I walked in, I mean, I was like, I was walking past, and I was determined. Like, I am not going in that store. I'm not spending one penny in that store. If I spend $100 in that, no, you can't buy anything for $100, uh, except maybe a letter, a card, a greeting card. But you... <laughs> I'm walking by, I'm like, I'm not going in there, because if I go in there, I'm going to spend all my money. I'm not going in there in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. And I tell you what, I, but I did pray. I said, Lord, if the guy opens the door, if I walk by... And if the guy, now they never do this, but if the guy opens the door when I walk by, I'm going in there. And guess what? Sure enough, the eighth time I walked by, he finally opened the door and I walked right in. Yeah, you got it, right? You got it. I walked in there, man. I was just like magnet. And it just pulled me in and I saw those shoes. And I'm like, okay, dear God, would you have these in gray? Yeah. Yes, we have them in gray. Do you have them in blue? Yes, we have them in blue. The guy says, let me show them to you in both colors. And I said, oh, man. You know, I don't know if you guys ever saw the movie uh, Radio with Cuba Gooding Jr., but in this movie, he, they, he, they ask him, do you want the apple pie or the peach pie? He's like, I want both. <laughs> I walked in the store, I want both of these sets. In fact, give me... I can only afford one pair, so let one be gray and one be blue. (laughs) My point is, is that beauty, it drew me in. Beauty attracted me. When you, anybody here who's married, you married the person because to you, they were beautiful. And you were drawn by their beauty. <laughs> Maybe not to anybody else. I don't I mean. It's like someone said, uh, someone said once, all babies are beautiful. Really? I don't know about you, but I've seen some ugly babies. I've seen some ugly babies. They're not all beautiful. You know, some of them, they come out and they look like they're 90 years old. They're all bloody everywhere and you know and then they and then they open their mouth and now that's crying and screaming and they just came out in this court that's not pretty but it is beautiful it's beautiful so not everything that's beautiful is pretty all the time but we understand the beauty of a childbirth we understand the beauty of giving birth we understand the beauty of new life we understand the beauty of the ocean. We understand the beauty of um, clothes. We understand the beauty of people. We understand the beauty of a a presentation of food. I know you guys are like, do you you even preach the Bible? You haven't brought up one scripture. But I'm I'm drawing you a picture because when I go to the scripture, I want want it to hit you. I want you to soak it in. I want you to feel it. I want it to be a visceral experience. I want you to actually experience what this passage is going to show us. And I have to set it up this way because it is the most beautiful picture that I've ever seen of Jesus. And I don't ever have to try to love him more. I just try to sit at his feet. And the Bible says in Psalm 27, I will behold your beauty in the temple and I will sit and learn. I will see your beauty, I behold your beauty in the temple and I become become a student. I become like Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus. Mary and Martha saw two things, two different things. The same Jesus came to their house but Mary saw Jesus' beauty and Martha saw what she thought was Jesus' expectations. When you Have a relationship with God based on his expectations or your interpretation of his expectations rather than a relationship based on his beauty and how beautifully magnificent and flawless he is. Uncomparable. Love so strong that it conquers death. Beauty so great that it's... It can't even be fully realized until we get to heaven. We see in part now. We don't see. Fully. Let me tell you something. When Jesus comes to this earth. Again. And when everybody sees him. The Bible says they all will say even the ones that didn't get saved behold and they will fall to their knees because the bible says every knee shall bow and unsaved people if they don't get saved while they have an opportunity when jesus comes to this earth and they see him from east to west they see him they will fall to their knees. They will declare, Jesus is Lord. This guy, this most beautiful creature, this most amazing creator, this most glorious savior. They will utter his name. They will utter his beauty. They will, they will be astounded at his glory, astounded at his beauty, but yet they will not be able to experience. And that enough That in and of itself is a hell that I don't ever want to experience. Hell is is not hell because of the fire. Hell is not hell because of the fire. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in a fiery furnace. But even that fiery furnace did not harm them because of the fourth man in the fire. Yes. So hell is, not, hell is not hell because of the fire. Hell is hell because of the absence of God. Yes. And in the absence of God, there is an absence of beauty, and it is ugly. The ugliest thing in the universe is a place without God's presence, a life without God's presence. So this, to me, is why millions and millions of people are not getting saved. Is because we've vandalized the picture of Jesus as he really is. And we've made a religion out of Christianity. And we've painted... Pictures of a Jesus that's mad, a Jesus that's gonna say, you know, sheep, here, goat, you're done, not for you. People don't understand the scriptures because they don't understand the the grace of God and the the era of grace that we're in. Is it doesn't, the, the idea that you have to forgive somebody before God can forgive you, that Jesus did say that, but he's saying that to expose everybody's sin, to make everybody realize that they need a savior. He's not, the Bible doesn't actually teach, in the new covenant, the Bible doesn't teach, forgive people and then God will forgive you. The Bible doesn't teach, the gospel is not that. That is a rule that Jesus declared because he was, he came to fulfill the law. So he told them the law. The law under the old covenant, That existed. You forgive, and then your Heavenly Father will forgive. But in the New Covenant, He forgives us through the blood of Jesus. Therefore, we can forgive others by the forgiveness that we've received. The Bible says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, verse 11 and 12, just as as you have been forgiven in Christ, forgive others. Forgive others even as you've been forgiven in Christ. Well, how can... I'd be forgiven in Christ unless I first forgave people, because Jesus said that. But that was under the law after he died and rose from the dead. He put into effect the new covenant and the new covenant says you are forgiven, free past, present and future. Your sins are washed away. God doesn't relate to you based on your sins anymore because he's removed them from you. Hebrews, chapter eight, verse 12 says that your sins and iniquities he will remember no more. In the new covenant, the new arrangement through the blood of Jesus. He will remember your sins no more. You may remember them and beat yourself up about it, but God's not remembering and beating you up about it. The devil might remember them and beat you up about it, but God's not remembering and beating you up about it. Your family or friend might be might remember your sins and beat you up about it, but God never remembers your sins and beats you up about it because God already forgave it all on the cross. It is finished. Wasn't I mean we uh, most people know Jesus said it is finished, but most. But so many preachers are still preaching that man has to finish what God started and we can't finish what God started. If God already finished it, if Jesus already finished it, there's nothing for us to finish. There's nothing. We're to carry about in our body the dying of Jesus, that the life of Jesus may be revealed. That doesn't mean we're to go around acting like we're, you know, we gotta die, we gotta carry the cross like Jesus. No, he did that. We don't have to do what he did. He did that so we don't have to do that. He became the curse so we don't have to be cursed. He became poor so we don't have to be poor. He became sin so we could become the righteousness of God. He made that deal with us because he loved us so. And to make that deal with you means that you know longer have to walk around in life carrying this burden of, I got to carry my cross, I got to, you know what carrying your cross is? Is carrying everywhere you go what Jesus did for you. <laughs> everywhere you go, you're bringing to people the finished work of the cross. Everywhere you go, you're carrying, I'm not going to say, oh, here, take this burden for me, you got to carry it now. I go, if I got as far as I can go with this cross, now you go. No. Jesus did it once for all. Yes. for all time. There's too many scriptures about it for me to go through all of them, but nothing that I said so far is contradictory to Scripture, and anything that your pastor feels is, he can come and fix, and he can come and correct because he's your pastor. But I have gathered from your heart, my equal, my bride. This is the Song of Solomon, chapter 5, um, verse 1. And are you guys able to put that up? Yeah. Okay. Nice. Is, is it the Passion Translation? Can you put the Passion? Is there a way to? No? Okay. It's not going to read as... Take it off because it won't be as... It won't, you already have that version. Let me, let me just read this to you and just let it minister to you. Okay? It's like story time, king. Like... It's like the teacher comes into the kindergarten class. Not that you're babies, but we're all in one way babies. Uh, But I want to read this to you and I want you to feel it. So I'm going to read it the way it hits me. And whatever happens, happens. And I'm believing for. An explosion of revelation for you to see the beauty of Jesus. And truly fall in love with him. Not because you have to. But because you've seen something that can never be unseen. I have gathered from your heart my equal, my bride. Feel free to look at it on your phone if you have your phone. Passion Translation, chapter 5. I have gathered from my garden all my sacred spices, even my myrrh which he used, they used myrrh for Jesus' burial. I have tasted and enjoyed my wine within you, because he said, this blood, my blood is the wine of the new covenant. This wine is the blood of my new covenant. He said, I have tasted with pleasure my pure milk, my honeycomb, which you yield to me. I delight in gathering my sacred spice, all the fruits of my life I have gathered from within you. Remember, there's a treasure inside of you. He goes on to say, My paradise garden, come, all my friends, feast upon my bride, all you revelers of my palace. Feast on her, my lovers. Drink and drink and drink again. The church is his bride and he bids the world come drink from the bride the church should be the beautiful bride that everybody is in awe of whenever you're walking anywhere in this world and there's a wedding everybody's attention is on the bride now our attention is going to turn to jesus in a moment here but this is what's so beautiful about jesus that he is the most beautiful being in the universe. He is the epitome of all beauty. All beauty in this earth is below his beauty. The most beautiful thing you can find in this earth is below his beauty. He created that beauty in this earth, but he didn't create himself again. He just let it flow into it turned into oceans and rivers and forests and fields and flowers and mountains and valleys. And if you go travel through this earth, travel through this country. Turkey is one of the most beautiful countries in the world. This didn't just happen. This is God's creation. This is God's beauty. You, we are all his creation. We are a reflection of his beauty. We carry his beauty. We've been carrying religion. We've been bringing to the world, you must repent, you must this, you must that. Hey, listen. When you see how beautiful he is, repentance is a natural reflex. Yeah. That's right. Repentance is like, yeah, heck yeah. Sorry, I almost said hell yeah. I just said heck yeah. <laughs> Uh-oh, the pastor said hell. Huh. I almost said it, I said. <laughs> when I said heck yeah, I was just saying that I almost said hell yeah. yeah. I didn't say hell yeah. <laughs> I almost did. Okay, I got some of you like, huh, I don't know. Should we laugh at this? No, probably not. (laughs) Yes, this is a test. We have everybody who laughed, you're in sin. Just kidding. You see what I mean? Christians have this certain idea of what should be Christian and what shouldn't be. And yet here at home, and yet you go home to most Christians' homes, and there's a lot of cussing going on. But when you come into church, you're like, oh, I would never do that. You know what? We all do. And people that don't probably need to say a few they probably need to get some of that 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 uh, passive aggressiveness out. And just say blankety blank blank. You know, David did that. He went to God in Psalm 13 and he said, how long, O oh Lord, how long are you going to are you going to be away from me? How long are you going to reject me? How long am I going to have to put up with this? Well, he didn't end his prayer there, but that's where it started. And you know, with with a beautiful Savior like we have, you can go to him and say anything you want. And it will not shock him. It will not surprise him. He will not be like, give me that salvation back. You don't deserve it. His gifts are without repentance. They're irrevocable. What he gives, he lives. And he never takes it back. It's a beautiful thing. Think about it. It's too beautiful to to capture fully. But then David ended his psalm with, yet I will trust you. Yet I will praise you. But you can't get to that yet I will praise you until you're honest with the Blankety-blank, God, I can't believe I'm going through this, these effing people, these, you know, that I had to deal with, this person that betrayed me, this person that lied about me. Gosh, Lord, doggone it. Blankety-blank. See, some of us are so we're so afraid we're going to be worldly that we're not human anymore. And you're not going to win the world to Jesus through your cleaned up sanitized Christian life you're going to you're going to win the world we're going to win the world to Jesus when we truly are reflecting his love and beauty really Let's let's get back to the chapter all right all the cussing is over um for now my um come on my friends Jesus calls you his friends. Jesus calls us his friends. Feast upon my bride, all you revelers of my palace. Feast on her my lovers. Drink and drink and drink again until you can take no more. Drink the wine of her love. Take all your desire, all you desire you priests. My life within her will become your feast. Listen, I want to say that again. He says take all your desire you priests. My life within her will become your feast. Priests represent The law they represent religion they represent the religious leaders and he says you priests need to what you priests need to awaken to the fact that you have real desires and you're going to truly have those desires met when you become a part of and drink from the church and drink from the life that jesus has given the church and the love that jesus has given the church priests and religious rituals and all of the keeping of the law will not make a person love God. It will not make a person love people. It will not make a person loving at all. The more you beat yourself into obedience and you beat others into obedience, the less love exists and the less grace. There's not this grace. There's this there's this sense of religious rigidity. And I believe God's trying to heal his church from that. I believe god's my mission in life is to introduce people to the real jesus because they've met a lot of imposters already they've met a lot of and when i talk about that i mean when we depict jesus in this in this rigid way we we fail to understand you know the early apostles for 300 years they never had any of the scriptures yet they turned the world upside down they only had the old testament They were they had experienced the new covenant through Jesus death and resurrection, but they didn't have all these letters. They didn't have all these scriptures. They didn't. We hold in our hands the 66 books of the Holy Bible, but they didn't have that because this God, God did not intend his words to be greater than his personhood. He didn't intend for us to read the Bible as a okay. Step one, step two, step three, step four. These are all letters written over thousand, two thousand, four thousand, six thousand years of human history. We have God's word, but we have God and we can't mix that up. This should not be the book to worship. It should be the book that points us to the God who we get to worship. It's a it's a It's a sign. It's a pointer. God, you think God's going to when you get to heaven, you think God's going to go, Okay, everybody turn to Ezekiel. (laughs) We won't need this anymore because we will see him as he is, but we need it now. But we need to extract from it the treasures of his beauty, which causes it all to then make sense. And there are some places that still don't fully make sense yet because we don't fully understand yet. And it's okay, because in a relationship with somebody, you can be in a relationship with them for years and still not fully understand them because it's unfolding over time and we change over time and we evolve over time and we're not the same person that we were 20 years ago or 10 years ago. Or maybe we're not the same person we were 10 days ago. That's okay, And the Bible is meant to 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 help people evolve and be transformed day by day there are things i preached 10 years ago that i would like to have back and i don't i i I thought i was so right about this and then i learned as i evolve and i understand the scripture better i understand jesus love better understand his grace better i understand the blood of jesus better i can go back and say truly i thought i was right about that but i wasn't my early years of christianity but you know what god is so patient and God is so good and he's so forgiving and he's so delivering, he's so liberating. He's so free and he wants us to walk in such freedom that he's like, it's okay. I wasn't expecting you to have it all together. I wasn't expecting you to read Ephesians like you had to fulfill everything in it by the time you were born again for a year or two. Ephesians is meant to be experienced through a lifetime. It's not meant to be, okay, I read Ephesians and so this is what we have to do now from this day forward. You can try that, but you won't be able to fulfill it all. It's impossible. It's an unfolding revelation. It's an unfolding liberation. It's an unfolding of of the majesty and the beauty of Jesus. Let's go back to it. My life within her. And verse 2, after this, the bride says, after this, I let my devotion slumber, but my heart for him stayed awake. I had a dream. I dreamed of my beloved. He was coming to me in the darkness of night. The melody of the man I love awakened me. I heard his knock at my heart's door as he pleaded with me. Arise, my love, he says to her. Arise, my love. Open your heart, my darling, deeper, deeper. Open your heart deeper still to me. Will you receive me this dark night? There is no one else but you, my friend, my equal. Jesus even said to Judas, you're my friend. Jesus considers us his equal. You know why? Because the Bible says he's the firstborn of many brethren. And as he is, so are we in this world. Jesus said, I don't call you servants, I call you friends. He said, I call you friends. We are seated with Christ in heavenly places. Amen. He calls us his equal. No man says to his bride, you're less than me. Well, there are some cultures that actually believe that, but they're terribly wrong. Men, women, women are not in, in any way inferior to men. They're not in any way inferior. They have different strengths, different uh, Different purpose, different, their bodies built differently, they were made different. Men and women are different, but they're equal. Okay. Right. And Jesus is the firstborn of many brethren. Jesus is Esau, and we are Jacob. And only holding on to his foot that was nailed to the cross. So remember, Jacob was holding on to Esau's foot. When he came out of the womb, they came out of the womb as twins, right? And that's a picture of Jesus and us. Jesus is the firstborn, Esau. He has the right to the blessing. He has the right to the promise. He has the right to the inheritance. But in God's great goodness, Esau, in our case, Jesus, gives us his inheritance and gives us his blessing. Amen. Mm. Amen. Somebody got to say amen. amen. And what does Jacob do to get Isaac to bless him instead of waiting for Esau? What does he do? He dresses up as Esau. He goes and hunts an animal as Esau. He puts the animal skin. On his hand, on his arms and hand, because Esau was a hairy man, and and uh, Jacob wasn't. And so now, what happens? Jacob goes into Isaac's tent, pretending to be Esau. And the father says, "I can't come closer. Okay, you feel like Esau, and you you smell like Esau, but." But your voice. (laughs) You don't sound like him. No, it's true. It's me, Father. All right. You know what? Okay. I don't I don't. Hey, here, I bless you. And. Guess what? When you're born again. You're clothed with righteousness. As Jesus. You now have the aroma of his love. As Jesus, you are wearing the animal skin of the Lamb of God as Jesus was the Lamb of God. And we don't sound like him all the time (laughs) because we're not saying the same things he says. So that's one we can work on, speaking God's word like Jesus spoke God's word. Letting only love come out of our, off of our lips rather than anger, frustration, worry, anxiety. Speak God's word. That's growing up in Christ is speaking like him. And listen to what he says. Will you receive me in the dark night? There is no one else but you, my friend, my equal. I need you this night to arise and come be with me. You are my pure, loyal dove, a perfect partner for me. This is how God sees you. My flawless one, will you arise? This is how God sees you, because of Jesus. For my heaviness and tears are more than I can bear. I have spent myself for you throughout the dark night. He did that in the Garden of Gethsemane. Verse 3, I have already laid aside my own garments for you. He did that too, didn't he? How could I take them up again? Since I've yielded my righteousness to yours. That's Jesus talking to us. He's given us his righteousness. You've cleansed my life and taken me so far. Isn't that enough? My beloved, reach into me to unlock my heart. No, excuse me. The bride is talking now. Um, Reach into me and says, the core of my very being trembled at his touch, how my soul melted when he spoke to me my spirit arose to open for more of his touch. As I surrendered to him, I began to sense his fragrance, the fragrance of his suffering love. That's our Jesus. It was the sense of myrrh flowing all through me. I opened my soul to my beloved, but suddenly he was gone, and my heart was torn out in longing for him. When you feel lonely, when you feel your heart's ripped, when you feel your heart's been broken, when you feel these negative feelings, it's an invitation from Jesus to come back to this love relationship, which is what the whole goal of Christianity is. And my heart was torn out in longing for him. I sought his presence, his fragrance, but could not find him anywhere. I called out for him, yet... He did not answer me i will arise and search for him until i find him as i walked throughout the city in search of him the overseers stopped me as they made their rounds they beat me and bruised me until i could take no more they wounded me deeply and removed my covering from me nevertheless make me this promise you brides to be if you find my beloved one please tell him i endured all travails for him i've been pierced through my love i've been pierced through by love and I will not be turned aside. I don't know about you, but Jesus has pierced me with his love in such a way that I will never, ever, ever leave him. I will never want to leave him. I will never. I've lost my need to ever save myself. I've lost my need to live. I I live with his love and it is all anyone needs. If you had to depend on marriage to fulfill you and to complete you as the world talks about and and and, uh, idealizes idols, idols. It's it's impossible because 50 percent of of people of adults aren't married and 50 percent are never maybe going to get married. So marriage cannot be the thing that completes us except our marriage to Jesus. It's the only thing that completes you. A completed person will be a great benefit in a marriage, but an incomplete person will be a, a thorn in the flesh of a marriage. That's why it's not two incomplete halves coming together to be made whole. It's, that's, that's, that's idealism. It's fantasy. It's the only way you can be truly happy is by being happy as a result of your relationship with Jesus. And then you have something Then you actually have something to contribute to a relationship out of a full tank rather than an empty one, he says. Goes on to say, nevertheless. Verse nine. What love is this? How could you continue to care so deeply for him? Isn't there another who could steal away your heart? we see now, these brides-to-be, we see now your beauty more beautiful than all the others. What makes you, your beloved, better than any other? What is it about him that makes you ask us to promise you this? So the other people are saying, this is the world saying to us, hey, church, hey, Christians, the world is saying to us, what makes Jesus, since you talk about Jesus, what makes him better than any other? What is it about him that's better than Islam? What is it about him that's better than Buddha? What is it about him that's better than Hinduism? What is it about him that's better than meditation? What is it about him? What is it about him? Can we really answer that? I don't think we really have done a good job answering that when they say, what is it about him? Well, you know, you go to hell without him. That's what's about him. That's what you're going to tell me. That's, well, you know, you have to bow before him. You know, you got to worship. You know, you got to surrender your whole life to Jesus. You know, I surrender all. I surrender all. It's a lie. Nobody has surrendered all. You haven't surrendered all I haven't surrendered all. Jesus surrendered all. None of us have truly surrendered all. We've, we've deceived ourselves We've deceived ourselves into thinking some decision we made or some commitment we said, or some prayer that we, that we made, thank you so much, that somehow we, we've surrendered all. How dare us have the, the arrogance to think that we have actually surrendered all? There's not one area of your life that you haven't fully Surrendered to God. That's a lie. Some of us don't even tithe. (laughs) But But we'll say, I surrender all. Bring your tithes and offerings to the storehouse. First, make me rich, God, then I'll give. I surrender all, but not my money, Lord i surrender all but i'm not going to give up my opinion that i'm better than others i surrender all but it's sure nice to gossip with people sometimes about brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so have we really surrendered all we're not saved because of our surrender we're saved because of his surrender so what is it what is it he says at the end of verse nine What is it, the people asked, what is it about him that makes you ask us to promise that we will go to him? Verse 10, she answers. Now she gets into answering the question, what is it about him? What is it about Jesus? He alone is my beloved. He shines in dazzling splendor, yet is still so approachable without equal as he stands above all others, outstanding among 10,000. The way he leads me is divine. His leadership so pure and so dignified as he wears his crown of gold. Upon this crown are letters of black written on a background of glory. He sees everything with pure understanding. How beautiful his insights without distortion. His eyes rest upon the fullness of the river of revelation. Flowing so clean and pure, looking at his gentle face, I see such fullness of emotion like a lovely garden where fragrant spices grow. What a man! No one speaks words so anointed as this one, words that both pierce and heal, words like lilies dripping with myrrh, see how his hands hold unlimited power, but he never uses it in anger, for he is always holy, displaying his glory, his innermost place is a work of art, so beautiful and bright, how magnificent and noble is this one, covered in majesty, he's steadfast in all he does, his ways are the ways of righteousness based on truth and holiness. None can rival him, but all will be amazed by him. Most sweet are his kisses, even his whispers of love. He is delightful in every way and perfect from every viewpoint. If you ask me why I love him so, O oh, brides to be, it's because there is no one like him. Everything about him fills me with holy desire. And now he is my beloved my friend, forever. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we catch a glimpse of your beauty. We catch a glimpse of Jesus' beauty in this passage. May we look at the Bible and read the Bible as a mosaic picture of Jesus. May we read it as Jesus, our Redeemer, Jesus, our Savior, Jesus, our friend, Jesus, our lover, Jesus, our captain, Jesus, our leader, Jesus, our provider, Jesus, our shepherd, Jesus, our deliverer, Jesus, our healer, Jesus, our beloved. There is none like you. May our eyes be opened to see he is all together lovely. He's all together lovely, no flaw. And that you see us this way, Lord, thank you so much.